This is Barry from Watford, and you are listening to Joe at the Fringe. Thank you. Good morning. Welcome to episode one of Joe at the Edinburgh Festival, Joe at the Fringe. I'm Simon Clancy, and I never thought that saying my own name out loud into a microphone would sound so weird. At 44 years old, yeah, it sounds the most ridiculous thing to say my name. I'm sat here in North Chowdhury, uh, and we are here on behalf of Joe. Uh, we are scouting for talent. We're going to shows. We're doing all sorts of things, and we're going to try and bring you kind of best flavour of what's happening here up at the Fringe. We're sat in the kitchen of our flat, our very nice flat that it took us about 19 hours to get into last night. I think we probably raised, uh, could have raised the dead, quite frankly. The microphone is on a big orange bucket. It is not glamorous in any way, shape or form. But uh, we're here. We had a pretty hectic schedule yesterday. We've got a pretty hectic schedule all week. Uh, and we will sort of do some pseudo reviews. We'll have a chat about some of the best and worst things that we've seen. Or give, try and give you a flavour of the sort of ephemera of the city. And Noz, this is your first time up in Edinburgh. What's your what, what are your first impressions? How are you how are you finding it as a rookie? What when you stepped off the train at Waverley, were you kind of blown away by? Because literally, it's street by street by street of street performers and carnival atmosphere and that sort of thing. It's a it's a fairly as a newcomer, it's a fairly weird thing to see, isn't it? It is. I mean, it's uh, walking down uh, the main sort of stretch. It's a bit of a sensory overload. It's coming from Manchester, where you kind of give dirty to anyone who tries to show off <laughs> it's kind of, it's kind of weird to walk walk down a, a sort of a, a stretch where where everyone's basically performing um one thing that uh i don't know i don't know why i wasn't expecting it but um it seems as if shows are going on just in the streets like students are performing yeah. and there's all sorts there's also a lot of fucking dawdlers which is really <sighs> annoying it does my it does stop my dawdling yeah. like seriously it's so annoying i mean i'm sure i've been dawdling sort of uh Using Google Maps to get about, but yeah, some people just stop and... It's like the Olympics of dawdling is taking yeah. place in Edinburgh at the same time as the Fringe. These kind of dual events, because there <laughs> yeah. are some, I mean, there are some Usain bolts of dawdling. Yeah. It's just... I think I think what's going to happen is, like, at the moment, I'm really polite and sort of like, if, if like I even sort of brush up against somebody, I'm like, oh, sorry, mate, and everything, but like... And also uh, you, you say it's, it's your fault. <laughs> yeah. You always say sorry as if, you know, somebody runs you over the street, you're like, I'm really sorry, mate, I shouldn't have been in the street. Yeah. You fucking yeah. ran me over there, it's my but, fault. But in like a week time, I'll be like, fuck off. Yeah, I know how that feels. So, uh, we arrived yesterday, uh, we got here sort of 11, 12 o'clock. First shows were sort of three. So what have you seen? What did you enjoy? What didn't you enjoy? And, uh, and on that point of not enjoying, I think what we've decided to do, we're not, we're not here to ruin people's careers, we're not here to um, you know, slag people off. Comedy is subjective, that's why we all enjoy it. I, I think there'll be things that Noz sees that he loves and, and recommends to me and I would see and think, not for me Clive and vice versa so what we will do is we'll talk about everything that we've seen but I don't think we'll necessarily name the people that we saw that perhaps weren't quite as good as, as we hoped and I, and I don't know about you but by kind of midnight last night <laughs> I already had a little bit of a new way after seeing six shows just in terms of you go from one to another to another to another and everybody's you know maxing out and trying to perform as best they can but when you see bad comedy it it, it does sort of take the wind out of your sails a little bit doesn't it? Yeah, no, it's 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 funny the the sort of hour long thing. Um, and nearly every stand up show is an hour, and you kind of uh, you kind of wonder whether that's necessary because like some shows 
seem really good but sort of perhaps sort of are stretched out a little bit and and, and, and it's funny how like a, a really good show like an hour flies by if it's something that's not quite for you you can really drag a little bit here's a question for you do you think that the comedians that you see on day one end up being the funniest comedians that you see for the entire duration of the trip because you see so much let's say you're here for two weeks you see so much and when you come in, you're a kind of a virgin to, to comedy for that particular stretch, and you see three or four comics that you really like, and just because you haven't had that overload through the fortnight, the guys that you see first, if they're good, you're like, yeah, that's the best, even though they're probably not, but you just your, your brain becomes in tune to jokes and gags and laughter and applause and that sort of thing. Do you think that's a thing, or have I just... Totally made that. Well, 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 I think I, I think you can sort of feel it even on the first day. We've already sort of stated when we're not reviewing as such. It's more a case of sort of like stuff we like, we'll, we'll, we want to share because we're enthusiastic about it and stuff. But um, I could never be a reviewer because I could never have that objectivity because, like you say, it's it, it's yesterday sort of I was right up for it. As time goes on, you you you're sort of you're tired and even you, you get a lot of. Um, a lot of comedians who are actually sort of themselves sort of apologising for like certain venues like really really hot and they're sort of saying sorry about that a, a lot of uh, comedians sort of towards the end of the day will be like uh, oh I know you've had a busy day and I really appreciate you coming to the show you could have, you could have gone anywhere you've come towards so I think it's inevitable that the audience you see stuff in and uh, how sort of uh, fresh and tired you are impacts on sort of how much you're enjoying it you are listening to Joe at the Fringe uh, with myself, Simon Clancy, and, and Noz Chowdhury. As I said, we'll, we'll review the stuff that we saw yesterday. We'll look ahead to what we're seeing today. And also, towards the end, we will drop in an interview that I did with Alex Lowe, uh, who is the character actor. You can see him a lot on Radio 4. He plays the character Barry from Watford. Uh, fans of Phoenix Knights would know him as, uh, as Clinton Baptiste, the... Um, I'm sensing the word. Nonce. Um, from that great scene with uh, the seance. We'll talk about his Edinburgh experience. Uh, it was conducted in a very unusual place. But for now, let's have a little, little run through the stuff that we, we saw yesterday and, and kind of our, I know we're not reviewing, but this is our kind of review section. So what did you see first? The first show I went to see, I was very excited about it, was uh, Sue Pollard in Harper. <laughs> the, the, the icon. The icon Sue Pollard. The Sue Pollard. Okay, my like, first question yeah. is, did anybody say... Heidi High Campus. <laughs> they did not. They you were see, very respectful. The late, great Barry Chuckle, rest his soul, who died last weekend. If you'd have been at a Chuckle Brothers gig and somebody had shouted, to me, if Barry Chuckle hadn't replied, to you, yeah. I'd have been disappointed. So I'm oh. very disappointed to hear that nobody said, Heidi High Campus, to Sue Pollard. <laughs> that's, uh, that's my first letdown <laughs> of the fringe, quite frankly. It's a, uh, it's a disgrace. And if you go to a Sue Pollard show, if you don't say it, you're an absolute, you're, you're, a, filthy, you're a filthy animal. <laughs> Sorry, I rudely interrupted <laughs> No, but I mean, the first thing was that, uh, I, in fact, I, I texted you a, a photo, like, we were queuing up, and, like, I was literally, like, in the queue, I was the only person who didn't have, like... Uh, Funny how? Well, 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 everyone was quite of a certain age, do you know what I mean? And yeah. I'm, I, I'm sort of, like, like, no spring chicken, but, like, I felt dead young, because, like, it was, it was mostly uh, women of, of, like, a, of, an, of, like, an elderly disposition. So, like, <laughs> that was very tactful. <laughs> so, so yeah, so, so like there was a part of me that was thinking, oh no, like uh, is this is this uh, the, the sort of first thing I should see at Edinburgh? But I mean, once it started, it was, it was actually it was actually really really good. It was uh, it wasn't so much a well, it wasn't a stand up, it was a play, but um, it was a play that looked at uh, 
she essentially plays like an outcast to society and uh, what other people would perceive as a bit of a weirdo who hoards and uh, keeps herself to herself. But like uh, as the show went on, it, it sort of had a lot of humour, but then it looked at sort of like uh, the people who you just ignore and you sort of dismiss as weird. And it was the more it went on, the more you find out about her life. And it and it's one of those it's one of those shows that sort of stays with you and makes you think about your neighbours and stuff like that. It was it was really, really good. I mean, I just want to know more about... I'm just going to drop in some Heidi High gags, frankly. <laughs> R- Ruth Maddox didn't appear from behind the curtain? She did not, no. What else then? So after Sue, what, um, what did you see? Uh, the next person I went to see was um, Athena Kuglenu. She was brilliant. And again, like, I wasn't aware of this, but apparently yesterday was supposed to be something they refer to as, as Black Wednesday. Apparently it's the first day after a couple of days where people are paying and so it's it's traditionally a bit quieter but like it, there wasn't many people in the, in the show which was a, a real pity because she's brilliant. I actually end up seeing her because um, Stuart Lee had uh, recommended her in a piece so I thought I'd, I'd check her out and she's brilliant. She she sort of intertwined her personal life with sort of politics but in, in a really sort of subtle, clever way and a lot of her throwaway sort of remarks were really sort of... Uh, uh, really hit home, and, and she looked. She talked about leadership, and she talked about Corbyn, and how uh, everyone's imperfect, basically. So um, I know there's a there's a bit of a perception that sort of the fringe can be quite left there, but um, she, she, she was pretty critical about Corbyn, um, sort of saying that uh, she doesn't think he's anti-Semitic or sort of racist or anything, but he doesn't help himself, and I, I think a lot of people would agree yeah. with that. Uh, but no, it's, it was a brilliant show, and uh, and, and yeah, it's, it's just like, uh, it kind of made me realise that sort of like, there's brilliant people out there, or there's brilliant people here, and, and uh, it's just a case of getting the audience. It's interesting though, you talk about Corbyn, uh, and I think themes will come up, because, you know, certainly the shows that I saw, and we'll talk about those in a bit as well, I think, you know, the themes of, of race, uh, of Me Too, Corbyn, anti-Semitism. I was in Andrew Maxwell last night and there was a, a whole section about anti-Semitism, very much reflective of what's happening in society at the moment. Although, there were, interestingly, in this five, six shows I saw, there was not a mention of, of Donald Trump at all, which I was really surprised about. And we, we, we talked about this last night, sort of at whatever time it was, 1am when we were walking back here to the flat. It was interesting to see that so far, I mean, there, there are obviously shows here, there's theatre shows and things, people dressed up as Trump and, and all sorts of things. And I'm sure we'll come across that. I'm seeing Reginald D. Hunter later, so I'm sure that will happen. No mention of the American president so far, but very much angling at current societal themes, which I suppose shouldn't be a surprise, but it's it's interesting how certainly race has become a huge thing here. I mean, how do you generally feel about people uh, bringing sort of social and political issues into into the comedy? Do, do, do you think sometimes there's a... There's a balance between sort of like being funny and sort of uh, getting sort of uh, serious topics in there. I think it's great if you can get it right. So I saw two two black comedians yesterday back to back who both talked about race. The first was Jamali Maddox, who was outstanding. Uh, Jamali Maddox, whose uh, Channel Four se- season "Hate Thy Neighbor," uh, I think he did two seasons in that where he went to the states and hung out in inverted commas with uh, neo-Nazis and the KKK, and uh, he, I think he went to Russia and to Ukraine with sort of white power uh, guys. He, his social take on race was outstanding. It was funny. It was bombastic, powerful. I then went straight across the street 20 minutes later to see another comedian on race, and it, it was very weak. And, and I wonder whether it was weak because I'd just come out of something that was so strong or whether or not just the, it was just really, really weak. 
and I suspect it's probably a little bit of A and a little bit from column A, a little bit from column B, but I don't mind. As long as it's done well, sometimes yeah. I think it's a bit lazy to, you know, but look, this is the, the I mean, these are incredible times. I, I don't see any reason why comedians wouldn't choose that, but they've got to nail it. And I think Maddox certainly nailed it. I think the person I saw afterwards really, really was wider the mark. I, I kind of agree. I, I, I kind of think anything can uh, be a, a topic of a, of somebody's show as long as it's sort of they it's well thought out and they and they and they're funny. I was actually talking to a comedian um, at one of the Boys Don't Cry um, things that, uh, that that you out today. Asked. Boys Don't Cry with Russell Kane. It's very good. I've heard. Well, apparently so. <laughs> apparently so. Available to download from all your favourite podcast providers and some rubbish ones too. <laughs> And um, they were saying that um, you sometimes have a situation where a comedian to get an extra star will kind of try and force in a like a bit of pathos or a, yeah. or a bit of tra- like do you know like with like X Factor and stuff like that where where like they do like the sad music and like this is for yeah. my nan it, it seems as if that sometimes it can almost be an element of that sort of like to to have like the strong comedy and then and then get a little bit of pathos sort of like forced in there just to sort of get the critical sort of acclaim that, 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 that they want. Yeah, so what else do you see after that? Where did you go? Because there's a theme um, emerging already. You've I know, there is, a, too. It's there, female is comedians. there is a theme emerging. I, did, I didn't plan it and it's... And it's Filthy definitely, fucking cover. <laughs> yeah. It definitely won't be like this for the... For the sort of, I don't think there's another day like this, but like it just happened to be that sort of... Uh, I just happened to see all female acts. Next, I went, uh, I went to see uh, Kiri Pritchard-McLean. A Manchester uh, comedian. She's based in Manchester, yeah. yeah. I think she's from Wales originally, but uh, she, she was brilliant. Like she was the highlight of the day. Um, she was. What made her so special? What set her apart? She she just seemed like such a professional, so polished. I mean, you kind of said some, something similar about you, you, was it your last show? Yeah, it was Andrew Maxwell. Just yeah. the difference between seeing really, really polished, really slick, you know, top of the bill, you know, and Andrew Maxwell fits in that sort of Darrow Green kind of category of the Russell Kane, that kind of, you know, just really, really slick. And there's just a difference having seen five shows previously then to go into his show and just it be yeah. so smooth, such control of the audience. From the second that he steps on stage, it's just a different level to... Some people are a bit a bit rough around the edges, but really brilliant. You're really excited about them. Other people, you just think you're an absolute pro at this. Like, you're going to say you're an absolute prick. <laughs> <laughs> you're good, but you're a wanker. Yeah, yeah you just... No, no, it's, um, she was so good that sort of like, it almost felt as if like, do you know sometimes the way you get like, um, like famous TV comedians, uh, that sort of come back to the fringe and sort of like do a show, uh, just to keep the hand in it, it felt like that, she was, she was really good and it was a really complex, difficult subject to ta- sort of tackle but she did it with, uh, loads of flair, so funny and, uh, she, she really sort of affected, you could, you could see like, all the sort of points at which when she wanted to be funny she was really funny when, when she wanted to hit home with a bit of a sort of a, something serious like you, you could you could feel you could uh, sense like the sort of emotion in the audience and the gasps and stuff mm. it was just it, 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 it was just brilliant I thought it was ace nice and then after that well lastly I saw uh, Mickey Oldman oh no I'm going yeah. to see her later on tonight yeah. so. she, she's actually really good and, and she's in a way she's like the perfect no uh, spoilers no, no, no. <laughs> but she was, she was like the perfect end to the day in, in that she was sort of like, she's like a young sort of sparky comedian, sort of like really sort of, uh, her delivery is quite American in a way. She, she almost, in terms of delivery, she, it was almost like a Tina Fey sort of like okay. uh, Amy Poehler kind of delivery. Nice. Um, but um, yeah, she, she, she was very good. She's, she's got like this kind of uh, 
sort of affable, sort of uh, almost goofy persona, but like she she managed to slip in sort of like uh, some really sort of uh, edgy stuff. But no, she was she was great. Is she on at the Pleasants? Is that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, so, so, I don't know about you, but so far I've been quite lucky in that sort of everything seems to be quite close by. Yeah, I, had, I, I think the, the biggest distance I had yesterday was half a mile, yeah. which was uh, I had three in a row, which were within about two hundred yards. Which, yeah. given how spread out, I mean, there's literally hundreds of venues aren't there spread out around the city. It's not like there's one little area. It's everywhere you go. Yeah. There are venues across this this pretty massive city. But the, but the caveat to that is a the dogless that slow you down. And B, like it's. I didn't realize Edinburgh was so sort of steep. It's like a tour, it's like a stage of the Tour de France, getting yeah. getting you know about, and it's co- there's a lot of cobbled streets as well, aren't there? It's a, it yeah. is really a um, you get in a taxi and you are like bouncing around all over the place <laughs> in the. Uh, it gets. You know. I mean, it's a workout <laughs> for the calves. So yeah, absolutely. So I started with. Uh, Three o'clock yesterday afternoon in the Le Monde Hotel with uh, Angelos and, and Barry. Angelos, obviously, Angelos Epithemu, who's uh, a kind of veteran of Vic and Bob. Um, Bob Mortimer, I think, is the god of, uh, of comedians. Very, very subtle, gentle, like perfect for a three o'clock, really. Uh, that kind of beautifully observed character comedy, just funny. Two kind of veteran characters, two really good friends who worked together for a long time. And actually afterwards... I caught up with Alex Lowe, who plays Barry. Alex, a veteran of Radio 4, uh, and as I said, uh, Phoenix Knights and all sorts of things you'll have, you'll have seen him in. Uh, and so we, um, we caught up in a fairly unusual place, w- w- which we'll get to, but uh, he'd just come off stage and I, and I started by asking him how the performance was. It wasn't too bad. I mean, uh, Dan Skinner and I are using the show in the old style of Edinburgh to get something together for us to do, you know, on a tour. But what I, mean, what I mean by that is it's very much to try it out and change bits. We don't have any posters up. We don't have any PR. We're three o'clock in a hotel on the first floor. So uh, the whole point is really to experiment. So in terms of that, yeah, it's getting better every show. It's one of those things where you go, right, we've done four or five shows now. That joke has never worked. And so let's chop it out. Uh, Dan was talking about, um, you know, he works with Vic and Bob a lot. And uh, he was saying that Bob Mortimer calls it the barking dog, where you're rehearsing. You can hear this, but you both can hear this dog going, that bit ain't working. And you're both reluctant to let it go, either because it's the other bloke's idea or you're both kind of wedded to it. Uh, But we chopped a couple of things out and it's much better for it now. How long does it take us to write a show like that? I mean, that was, what, 45, 50 minutes? I think it's probably 55 minutes and um, it's taken us ages. We toured our show, The New Power Generation, Angelus and Barry, you know, uh, for two years around the country. We thought we've really got to write something else. And honestly, we've been writing this for months on end. Uh, it's had various incarnations. We start, we, we also wrote a sitcom this year as well. That also, you know, we spent a lot of time together. And, uh, you know, it's, it's still, <laughs> still not quite right. So, uh, yeah, we, we wrote a lot together and it's, it's, it's had all sorts of bits. And then we went in to rehearse it with uh, Jeremy Stockwell, who he's, he's, do, he's here actually doing that Ken uh, play and he's doing another play about Spike Milligan, fantastic director. And he uh, knocked it about as well with us a bit and got it up on his feet. And so, yeah, quite a long time, months for people that don't understand the process, how does that work? I mean, is that literally going around each other's houses? Do you meet up in coffee shops? How do you how do you work through a, a, a comedy show in terms of building it, structuring it, yeah. doing the narrative, those sorts of things? Well, 
We would meet up, uh, first of all, at the National Theatre, just because it's like a big space. Lots of people use that area on the South Bank for free Wi-Fi and all the rest of it. But we just found, you know, it's, it's a bit restrictive and you're normally sitting next to someone else who's talking in a loud voice about their, you know, their one-man... Their, you know, their, their cottage industry. So we ended up coming to my house. I personally don't like working at my house. I like to get out and that's the day's work. Uh, and then you also, if you're in your own house, you're making bloody bacon sandwiches and all that. And you think, can we just get on with it? And so then we started going to Dan's house where the bacon sandwich thing was solved by me picking something on the way in, in fancy Muswell Hill from some Ponzi organic food shop. And we'd say, oh, what do we think of this? So we'd have a little a few treats to keep us going because it can get a bit boring sat there. So, yeah, mostly Dan's house, I'd say. It started off in public and then, you know, went to his place. But, uh, I mean, it, it is one of those where it's all day long and it's sort of that, what would happen if Barry says something like this and then he would respond with something like that? Or the quicker way is, of course, just to be a character and sit there talking to each other as the characters... And luckily, we're kind of great mates. It'd be terrible if we'd thrown together in some terrible uh, double act where we hate each other, but we're, you know, so so we get on great and we have a good laugh. And I mean, what's true to say, and probably this is true for a lot of double acts or creative partnerships, what you two laugh at between yourselves, it ain't necessarily going to be what a mainstream audience is going to laugh at. So I think there's a couple of bits in here, I think, you know, that's for us, not for them. It's kind of first week at the Fringe. This must be, you've probably lost count of how many times you've been up here, but how is this, the 2018 incarnation of the Fringe for you guys? Well, we sort of deliberately have decided don't get involved with all that terrible navel-gazing you do when you come up here. I'm sure every performer does it. All your contemporaries are here with their posters screaming how brilliant they are. And you can always go, oh, they've got a bigger audience. They've got more stars than us. They've got a better venue. Look at their posters. They look like they're really going places. You just have to get in your groove and just carry on with your thing. Because it is, I mean, it is, I mean, everyone, I'm sure every comedian or actor, whatever, performer, will say the same thing. There's a lot of soul-searching goes on. You've given up a lot of time to be up here, great expense. And, uh, you know, it throws your entire life into sharp focus. You know, particularly I'm now 50. I never thought, I thought, God, I'm not doing this again. But we just decided to, you know, treat it as a, a bit of a holiday. Come and do the show at three o'clock. Uh, I'm staying with my in-laws and uh, Dan is staying with my mother-in-law. So it's so lovely to have somewhere nice to go back to and be looked after, not some scuzzy flat. Do you enjoy it? Is enjoy the right word? Can you enjoy the fringe as a performer, given the financial outlay, the pressures, the hope that lots of people turn up, all those sorts of things? Um, I think you have to. I think we both, as I say, resolved, you know, he's about five years younger than me, but we're, no, we're not 20 anymore. And you have to just try and enjoy it. I mean, this idea that, you know, some Mr Big is going to come through the door in a fedora and a cigarette holder Sorry. and say, you guys, what have I been missing? It doesn't happen like that. So I think uh, you just have to enjoy it because... We're getting older. And to the people listening to the podcast, obviously this is a podcast and, and not a visual, just explain where we are, because this is kind of underlines what The Fringe is about, really, doesn't it? This interview is taking place in this particular venue. This, it, we're, we're, we're on the first floor of quite a nice posh hotel, and Simon and I are in the disabled toilet 
Uh, how can I prove that? Hold on. There you are. Uh, that's just, I'm sitting on the toilet. Um, and um, honestly, particularly doing my Barry character where I have to uh, put on a lot of prosthetics, still, despite what I think, you know, doing quite a lot with Barry on TV and radio, you know, I'm still quite often getting changed in somewhere like this. So, you know, you could say, well, this is very much in the spirit of the fringe, but it's also mildly depressing as well. Not glamorous, is it, on any level? No, it's... Re- Bloody hell, that was the uh, disabled toilet, not me. Um, I was going to say, you need that looked at if it is you. Uh, it, it's not glamorous. What was the question? Um, I think the toilet answered yeah, it for me. Pretty much did. Pretty much did. So you're here the whole month? I'm here this whole month unless this toilet sucks me into it. No, we're not. We're here until uh, Sunday. Um, and then we've got to go back. Dan is filming for Netflix. Uh, what am I doing? Oh, I've got various gigs, various gigs. I, I go out as Clinton Baptiste, which is a character I did on Phoenix Nights. I'm sensing the word. That's right, yes, yeah, so I do that. And uh, I've got a few gigs, you know, doing that, thank God, which is quite handy in August because there's not much else happening. Perfect. Alex, as always, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Cheers, Simon. Great to see you again. So that was Alex Lowe, uh, one half of Angelos and Barry. Uh, Alex obviously plays Barry. They're on at three o'clock in the afternoon every day at the Le Monde venue, which is a hotel, quite a, quite a posh hotel. But uh, So I saw those, those guys first and kind of highly recommended. And I went straight into, um, and as I said earlier, we're going to leave names out so you kind of know what's coming. I went into a comedian who... I mean, I wrote, I've been making notes on my phone. At one stage, I, I realised I hadn't laughed in the first... Uh, first of all, the venue was hotter than the sun. I mean, it was ridiculous. Everybody had fans, and clearly they'd been put out on seats. I got there about four minutes late, and somebody must have stolen my fan. And so I'm just sat there sort of wafting my hand in front of my face like I'm having some sort of seizure, <laughs> which is ironic because actually the show was about this person's uh, epilepsy. That was the, kind of the backbone, the, the kind of narrative to it. But it just wasn't funny. Although, A, the venue was rammed, and B, everybody else thought it was hilarious. It just, maybe it just wasn't me. The, the American comedian David Cross once said that I'd rather hear the death rattle of my only son than listen to any more of this. And that's how I felt. I mean, it was turgid. It just wasn't funny. You know, you know when you think, I could be funnier than this. And it's, you know, you couldn't. But actually, you just I was just left thinking, I could be funnier than this. Missed opportunities just really obvious you see stuff coming do you know what I mean it just and then there was the, the kind of whole show at the end there was a punchline to the show and I didn't get it it was about a sort of a, uh, an acronym and I was just like A it's not funny B I don't get it and anything I have to really think about to try and get to that point for me that's not a winner I mean uh, and I wrote at the end I mean there were two there were two moments of improv where audience, the audience kind of got involved and, and they were this person's best parts and it was like if the improvisation is the best thing about your show, your show's really not not great. So I went from there and I went to see Jimmy Lee Maddox, um, who I talked about as well earlier on, just to really got the audience involved straight away, very strong and interesting on race and on the Me Too movement. And he slightly controversially talked about how women, you know, all of a sudden Harvey Weinstein comes out and the focus is women, 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 and, you know, it's not, nobody's all of a sudden talking about black people and Muslims and the terrible shit they're going through and the 200 years of, you know, all that sort of stuff. And he wasn't being critical of women, obviously, but he just did it in a way 
I suppose around the, the news cycle and the narrative of those sorts of things. It was fascinating. Again, a hot venue, but 150 people absolutely packed in. It was a show that really made you think. I then went to see another very, very average comedian. There was only seven people in the venue. So that in itself is, I mean, was not good. It was difficult because you feel like, these, you know, these people have spent a lot of money. This is their livelihood. This is their life. You know, and I've spoken to comedians in the past who get depressed about going to Edinburgh because it's such a slog. And, and it must be so soul-destroying to, turn, you know, to, to open the door and see or look behind the curtain and see seven people sat there. But the, the performance was weak. It was really weak. Like, as I said, I went to see a comedian yesterday who who was really good, but, like, there was only a few of us in the audience. And, like, first of all, I don't know how they do it. I don't know how, like, I'm so impressed with the way that they can go out and just do the show. And and second of all, like, I, I assume that you feed off the audience's energy and uh, and sort of... I feel a bit sorry for, when, for people when there's not that many people there because... Like us, sort of like watching it and sort of um, having a and like deciding sort of whether we enjoyed it or not. We might enjoy it so much more if, the, if it was like a full audience and they were bouncing off them and they had that their normal energy. Mm. I find uh, what the psychologically what comedians have to go through really sort of uh, interesting and and also the fact that both of us have have been through sh- uh, been to shows where there's there's a lot of emotion whether that's anger whether that's sort of heartbreak whether that's a sort of a looking back at something that was painful and it sort of blows my mind that sort of people are doing this for like 30 days like in a row i found my mind wandering halfway through to the yeah. point where i realized i'd left my running shorts back at the house in manchester yeah and i was thinking is there a TK Maxx around here where I can go? And I was six or seven minutes thinking, well, I could go to TK Maxx, I could probably get some shorts or whatever. And then where would I go for, I can run up towards that. And then suddenly like, boom, oh, cry, I'm actually here to see, a, yeah. you know. And you almost feel like fake laughing. No, not kind of going, oh, ha, ha, you're so, but there's only seven people in the room. So he's looking around at, for visual cues and to see if people are enjoying it. And if you just sat there stony face, it's a really difficult thing to not, I've, I've I don't noticed, want to ruin somebody by just yeah. sat there cross-armed the entire time with a surly look on your face because then you can just tell that this is terrible, mate. I've, I've noticed myself do that because, like, naturally, like, even if I'm really enjoying something, my my laugh is either a motley kind of... <laughs> oh. yeah, or, or worse, it's it's kind of like this asthmatic sort of... Ha- like, oh, barely... Yeah, barely audible kind of... Uh, heavy breathing so, so like I've noticed sort of like I'm being a, a little bit louder with my laugh just to sort of show appreciation that's very funny um, but, uh, and then like I said into Andrew Maxwell after that just slick you have, you, have you seen him before? I've seen him before I've seen him about 15 years ago when he first came out and uh, I used to produce Loose Ends on Radio 4 and he was uh, a regular guest on, on that as well and it felt like he hadn't written the show that long ago that he hadn't put that much effort into it in part because comedy just comes naturally, I suppose. But also, you know, it was it was subtly structured, but it was just... It must be a great feeling. To, and there, there was probably about 350 people there. So to go from an audience of seven to an audience of 350, it just had everybody eating out of his hand from moment one. And what I found really interesting about the really top-level comedians is that they can say nothing and people can still find them funny. And he uses dramatic pauses or just pauses of emphasis and that really makes people laugh because he's hammering home the point by not by 
not saying yeah. a word, which is a really clever thing to be able to do. That's what I'm doing in this podcast. Yes. Hardly. It's <laughs> nice of you to turn up to the podcast. I know, actually. yeah, yeah. I Given that, you know, in the little wrong. preview podcast, you <laughs> fucked yeah. off and hid somewhere and didn't really say anything. Um, but yeah, uh, so no, it was, uh, it was, it was great. And he's a, he's a fascinating guy. And apparently we'll come on this podcast before we go back, which will be great. Yeah. Um, just in terms of his show, like, like you've said, like it was, uh, it was quite loose and it, it, it was just funny. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like it was just funny, funny all the way through. Um, did it have like a nominal theme or, or, or was it just like a funny show? No, it had a kind of a nominal theme in that he'd made a TV series where he'd gone around interviewing sort of weird people. Okay. Um, people that believed in aliens, people that believed that the Jews were responsible for 9-11. So he, told, he tells this gag about how, um, about how on the morning of 9-11, he went to interview this guy in New York and he said, you know, on the morning of 9-11, there were no Jews in the Twin Towers. Okay, now. And he's like, okay. Who, uh, essentially the premise is, who told you that? Yeah. Who told you that? So, and he's like, what, you know, who told you that, mate? Because it's bullshit. And he's like, no, no, no. Every, every Jew got a phone call on the morning of 9-11 to say that so there were no Jews in the Twin Towers. And he's like, you know, a, two, two planes hit the financial district of New York, but didn't hit a Jew. I mean, it's, um, it's, so it's that kind of yeah. premise. And he talks a lot about, so for example, he talks about, oh, another email, uh, talks about Brexit and um, the Irish border and the fact that there is no Irish border, the fact that it goes up and down and around inside and like, looks like the inside of a twirl. But he also told the best joke or the best kind of just delivery of a joke, which was that his son was up in Edinburgh for the first time. And Andrew must be about late 40s, I think. And he said his son was 17 now. And he was up in Edinburgh, it was his first fringe. And he'd grown a little moustache because he thought it was cool. And Andrew's like, it's not fucking cool. You look terrible. You look like Hitler. And his son was like, no, this is my jam. He used those words specifically. And he said, I, I just turned to him and I said, you look like the paedophile and the child. Which was just, <laughs> which was just again, it's just beautiful observational comedy. The the entire audience was, and that the, the that kind of thing. When you know that you've got a great line, and you just drop that, and the the audience just, yeah, that must be a great feeling. It must be like scoring a goal in a way. It, have, it, it, it must be. I mean, like to some extent, like every comedian here is either really funny or has been told that they're funny or, or, or have have realised they're funny at one point or another. It must be so cool. To sort of realise that you're capable of being funny and making people laugh. Absolutely. Just looking around, you could see people totally eating out of it. So whatever he would say, whatever, you know, it was almost cultish in a way that you could get, you could say anything and you could get people to lead, you know, he could lead and, and they could follow. That kind of alpha male mentality that, you know, I think some of the male comedians I saw yesterday who weren't very good aren't really alpha male. I don't, that, you know, you don't have to be an alpha male to be a good comedian, but Andrew, Jim, 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 uh, Jamali, Jamili, Jamali, Adam Jamili. They were very much you know, alpha males, and I think yeah. that really helped. Whether that plays out for the next few days remains to be seen. But it's, it's you can totally you can totally see how uh, people can sort of believe so strongly in, a, in an individual because because they have got so such charisma and and really like you 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 were you, you were saying about the, about conspiracy theories and like uh, people believe in anything like. Uh, you can totally understand how a charismatic person can essentially get away with saying anything, but, yeah. you, but you can totally believe them if they've got that power. Right. Before we wrap up, which we will do very shortly, one highlight that you're going to see today that you're very excited about? I'm looking forward to seeing Bethany Black, or Bethany, as, we, as, as we'd say in Manchester, uh, just because, like, uh, she, she's... I've not seen her before, but, like, she's brilliant on... Um, on the Twitter and uh, also uh, a lot of 
comedians sort of are fans of her, which is always a good sign, I think. So, so yeah, that's that's definitely one of the highlights. Um, I'm going to see Catherine Boyard, who I've been told is very, very good. All right. And also Reginald D. Hunter, as I mentioned earlier on, who's just one of those kind of veteran slick. Have you seen him before? I have, yeah. I've seen him a few times before. But um, what I hope is that somebody in the audience kicks off a little bit because he's amazing with hecklers. So mm-hmm. that should be fun. And we, the, the, the second thing is that we, we played a game yesterday on the train on the way up. If we were going to do an Edinburgh show, what would it be called? And it's kind of reflective of stuff that we were talking about. And obviously for libel reasons, we can't go into too much depth as to why we were talking about this. But we came up with the idea, with the premise that if we did a show, it would be called If Katy Perry Could Talk. And we will leave it there, dear listener. We shall leave it there. Thank you for listening to episode one of Joe at the Fringe. I have been Simon Clancy. Uh, He has been Nos Chowdhury. We shall be back tomorrow uh, with more uh, fun and games from from this wonderful city and from this this great festival of of comedy and theatre. And we shall leave it there. Goodbye. See ya.